Hey, welcome to the Sanctuary Church podcast. Sanctuary Church is a family following the path of Jesus together in Providence, Rhode Island. If you'd like to learn more about our community, you can visit our website at sanctuaryri.org or check us out on social media. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope you are encouraged by today's teaching. Good morning, saints. Good morning, saints. Just making sure you're here. It's a privilege and a joy to be with you, so thankful for the invitation to open up God's Word with you. And Andrew did ask me to come and preach. I, I did warn him. I said, hey, well, the due date's on the 20th, so there's a good chance I may not show up. There's also a chance I may have to leave sometime in the middle of this. But he said, come anyway. So thankful for that. And shout out to Corey if she's here. I think she's got a due date coming up. There she is. Hey, Corey. So thankful to just be able to open up God's Word. It's my joy to be able to do that with your brothers and sisters at Faith Community Church most weeks, and thankful I get to do that with you. And this morning, I want to spend some time uh, in the book of Psalms, and specifically in Psalm 24, if you'd like to join me there. And as I was preparing this message and thinking through what we're going to read together, I couldn't help but think of a a particular game you might be familiar with, King of the Hill. King of the Hill is a kid's game, right? And the object of the game is pretty obvious, it's pretty clear. There's a king on top of the hill, and the goal is to topple that king and become the new king or queen, right? And you play this over and over and over again until you get exhausted. And though this is a children's game, it is actually something that is played out in history. It is something as we look back in time, we can see that this world has entertained different kings and queens. We can think of empires that have ruled, like the Persian Empire, created under Cyrus the Great, stretched from Iran into Central Asia and Egypt. We can think of the famous Han Dynasty, that lasted more than 400 years expanded from China into Vietnam and Korea. You can think of the Mongol Empire, which reigned throughout the 13th and 14th century. And you might be familiar with its leader, its most famous leader, Genghis Khan, or even the British Empire, which in the early 20th century comprised of nearly a quarter of the world. But as you watch history unfold itself, what you find is that there's always a new king to rule. That kings and queens, they come, empires rise, but they fall. But as we come to Psalm 24, we will learn of one king who sits on a hill far greater than anything we could imagine, far greater than anything this world has to offer, a king who cannot, in fact, be toppled from his hill, whose reign has not and will not ever end. What I hope we will learn today as we read this psalm is that this king of the hill, this king of glories, he wants us to be in his presence. He wants us to come to him. And so the call for us as we read and walk through Psalm 24 will be to rightly draw near to the king and to joyfully receive him as he draws near to us. So let's read Psalm 24. This is the word of the Lord. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it on the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? 
And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. Psalm 24 is known as an entrance liturgy. It was a procession song. It was sung by Israel, perhaps as the Ark of the Covenant, this marker of the presence of God, was brought to the temple. It's written by King David, one we might be familiar with. And there's speculation as to the occasion as to when he wrote this song. Perhaps it was when David in 2 Samuel chapter 6 finally saw the Ark of the Covenant coming into the city of Jerusalem. Others think it was written to be sung at the dedication of the temple, which David knew by prophecy would be built by his son Solomon. Either way, the purpose of this psalm is clear to us. This processional song puts on display the rightful king of everything. The song invites us to be in awe of God, but also invites us to approach him rightly. And as we approach him to joyfully receive the king who comes. And so as we walk through this text, I'm, we're going to be going through three movements. In verses 1 to 2, God's sovereign patent. Verses 3 to 6, the call to approach God with a holy hygiene. And in verses 7 to 10, the call to receive the king of glory with joyful worship. And so God's sovereign patent, verses 1 and 2, we see that the song begins with an exclamation point. Everything in the earth, all that is contained in it, belongs to God. That means every particle, every atom, everything you can see with your eyes, everything you touch, smell, hear, all of it, including us, belong to God. And this is not an unfounded claim. We see in verse 2 that he has founded it upon the seas. He's established it upon the rivers. That God owns it all because he founded it all. Some of you may know what a patent is. Patent is an exclusive right granted to an invention, whether it's a product or a process. When vanilla ice came out with the hit, Ice, Ice Baby, right? There was a, a sound that you may have gone, oh, this, this really, really sounds familiar. This bass line, I feel like I've heard it before. And you have. In the greater hit, Under Pressure. And so come to find out, Vanilla Ice had to pay over $4 million in royalties to use to Queen and David Bowie to, use the, to have the right to publish that baseline 
because it belonged to somebody else. And yet, as we think about patents, there is nothing more unique, there is nothing more great than the patent of life in creation itself. And God has exclusivity to that patent. God's claim to ownership comes because he has created both the product and the process. He is the rightful king and owner of it all. And if you don't realize, the implications of that are pretty astounding. Because if God holds the patent, meaning exclusive rights, it means that we are all, everything that lives and breathes in adamant belongs and is subject to him. That all of creation is at God's beck and call. That all of creation is meant to live and serve its purpose towards God. The Westminster Confession is a series of question and answers. As you open it up, the first question is, what is the chief end of man? And as you read the answer, what you read is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We have a purpose because we belong to a creator As believers, we understand this to mean that we do all things for him, for his glory. Whether we eat, whether we sleep, everything we do, how we live is informed by the one who holds the exclusive patent. He has designed us to live, to move, to breathe in a certain kind of way that is inclined towards him. It is why we seek to hear and listen to God. As we open up his word, we are engaging with our designer. As we pray, we are listening for our designer to speak more life into us. He informs every step. And being made and owned by God, we are called to submit everything to him. This means your marriage. It means the way we parent. It means our finances. It means our friendships. The way we work is shaped by him. Our designer, our creator, the one who holds the sovereign patent. But this is also an encouragement. That is encouraging. But what is also encouraging is if this is true, if this is the reality in which we exist, then we have no reason to have anxiety in a world that feels like it is constantly shifting. That when pandemics hit, when earthquakes come and devastation comes, when political and emotional turmoil feel like constant ringing in our minds, when wars are raging seen and unseen, this truth means that we can stand firm and without Anxiety, that we do not have to be overwhelmed. Because if God holds it all in his hands, it means that he is in control. And this does not mean that as sons and daughters, as brothers and sisters, we sit and do nothing. But it means that as we move, we move with a kind of confidence that people have to wonder at. We move with a confidence knowing that God, who holds the exclusive right to it all, is in control. And so these first two verses are meant to put us in awe as they properly shape the way we see God. 
But a natural question as we wonder at this God becomes, how do we approach him? How can someone get close to a God like this? Is there a way for us to come to him? This is the same question asked by King David. Look at verse 3. He says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Who is worthy? Who is worthy to go to this God? If you remember in Avengers Age of Ultron, right in the beginning of the movie, there's this scene, they're, they're having a party. And Thor's hammer, Molnir is on the table. There's a bet that kind of ensues. Who can pick up the hammer? If you don't know, there are certain qualifications required for one to hold the hammer of uh, Thor, Molnir. And so you see Iron Man try to do it, and he fails. Black Widow, and she fails. And all of them fail. None of them can pick up the hammer. But there is a moment where Steve Rogers, Captain America, comes over, and he starts to pick up the hammer. But then the scene kind of just ends. But then if you also remember in that movie, Avengers Endgame, at the end, you have Thor, Captain America, and Iron Man fighting against Thanos. And they're getting beat. But at a critical moment when Thor is about to have him, his head stopped in, a hammer flies by and hits Thanos right in the face and lands in the hand of Captain America. And what does Thor say? I knew it. He knew that he was worthy to hold the hammer Molnir. And the qualification to hold that hammer was to be one who was pure in heart. And so when we ask the question, who can go unto the hill of the Lord, the psalmist tells us in verse 4, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. He who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. And this should be an unsurprising passage to us. For familiar with the Beatitudes that Jesus preaches in Matthew, we read in five, chapter 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Hebrews 12, 14 tells us, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one see the Lord. This is the call for those who would be worthy to ascend the hill of the Lord, to join him, to be in his presence, those with clean hands. This means to be innocent of wrongdoing, to, to be one who readily seeks forgiveness when he or she has sinned against others or God. To have clean hands is to be free from blood, from violence, from bribery, from fraud, unjust gain, wrongdoing of any kind. That your hands are not instruments for yourself, but for God. We ask ourselves questions like, how have we loved God? How have we loved our neighbor? To be clean is to first love him and then to love one another. Those who would ascend the hill are called to be pure of heart, meaning it is not simply enough to do the right thing, but what is motivating the right thing? 
A pure heart is meant to drive the outward work we live and do. Jesus can smell a fake. If you remember, the Pharisees were astonished when the disciples did not wash their hands before eating a meal. In Luke chapter 11, verse 39, he he says, The Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. We must understand that we are not saved by our works, but we are saved for good works. That pure hearts create something new and fresh, holy and pure. But that's given to us through Christ. And so those who would ascend the hill are those of clean hands and a pure heart and those who do not lift up their soul to what is false, to what is empty. There's a reason why we use the phrase, who do you look up to? There's something significant about looking up. There's a reverence we give people or to things when we look up to them. And what's being asked of us here is who do we look up to? What has your eye? What has captivated your heart? And to recognize anything at the top that captivates you is false. It is empty. It has replaced what is meant to be the apple of your eye, which is your creator. The call is to look up and to wonder and be in awe of God. And finally, the call for those who would walk up that hill would be to not swear deceitfully, to not live a life of lies, to not live your truth or their truth, but God's truth. Family, as we look at these verses, the totality of them are calling us to loyalty, complete loyalty in heart and in life, singular devotion to God. And that person, we read in verse 5, he will receive the blessing of the Lord. He will receive righteousness from the God of his salvation. That that person will enjoy the benefits of God's promises, of God's favor. They will enjoy a righteousness that is a vindication from God. And recognize as we read that this righteousness comes from God, what we realize is that what we most desperately need, the approval from God, does not come from ourselves, but from Him. It is not earned by compliance to a set of rules, but it is given and granted by a God who desires to receive us. And this is good news in a world that is constantly trying to woo us trying to call us to live for them, to live by its standards of beauty, of achievement, of status, of wealth. That for us who live only by the vindication of God, we only listen and look to him. And this is available and open to all. Look at verse six with me. That this is for the generation of those who seek him. Who seek the face of the God of Jacob? This is more than moral living. This is a holy pursuit 
a burning in our hearts that longs and desires to seek after the face of God. Seeking God isn't a one and done, it is not a one and done situation where you make a decision to follow Jesus and that's it. It is a daily giving up of oneself to God. It's an enveloping a transformation that occurs every moment of every day. In many ways, the psalm can be summarized with what James teaches in James chapter 4. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. This is the call, that we would go to God to keep clean and pure, to not lift our eyes to what is empty or false, but to look and long and draw near to God and to watch as he comes to us. And as we do that, we are to do that in joy. This is what we read of in verses 7 through 10. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. You can imagine the joy of King David as the ark is being brought in. Three months prior to that, a man named Uzzah had wrongly, though unintentionally, touched the Ark of the Covenant and had lost his life because of that. And so for three months, the Ark was not where it was meant to be, in the city of Jerusalem. And so you could imagine the elation, the joy of David as he watches what is meant to represent the presence of God entering into the city of God. And we know from the text that he dances. His joy manifests itself physically. He's rejoicing. And he becomes an example for us of what it means to receive the king. What it means to rightly receive our creator, our designer. That as those gates are opened, into the city of Jerusalem, our gates should open into our hearts and our lives for the God who has created us to enter in. But this is only possible when we rightly approach God. The presence of God could not come into Jerusalem because Uzzah had wrongly approached God. But we need to recognize that like Uzzah, this is a reality we must all deal and face with. That like this man, we are in danger of our sin keeping us away from the presence of God. That though he holds the sovereign patent, though he is the rightful king of everything, there is another who seeks to hold claim of us. Sin and Satan hold us in their clutches, in bondage and slavery. So though we should willfully, joyfully submit to the king in our sin, we reject, we push away. We are hold, held hostage by another master, one who seeks the rights of our life. And by our own volition, by our own sin, 
we give it to him. We look up to what is false and empty. And this means that no matter how much we wash our hands, it is impossible to remove the trace of this bondage from our life. Our hearts are forever stained by this ugliness that keeps us pure of heart and able to go to God. Interestingly, this song would have been sung on Sunday by Israel. Lift up your heads, O gates. They would have sung this on Sunday. But I can't imagine that Israel would realize that as they sang this song asking, who is this king of glory? That sometime in a not so distant future, that that king would ride on a donkey into Jerusalem. Luke 21 verse 10 reads, when he entered Jerusalem, Jesus, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? They would ask that same question, not realizing it was that king of glory. You see, though, sin has opened up this chasm that has not allowed us to rightfully approach God to enjoy his presence, God closes the gap. He does that by sending his son, that the sin that would permanently stain our hands and our hearts would be undone by the Jesus who comes unmarked with a heart unstained. He who is worthy to stand on that holy hill. Jesus, who is vindicated by his own righteousness. He is that king of glory. And though some would say in that triumphal entry, the glorious Palm Sunday would say, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This Jesus would only several days later be held high on a cross crucified, an innocent man killed. But this was for our good. Jesus would be killed for our sins. His blood shed would be for the purpose of washing us clean. Church, the death of Christ is the price God would pay to rightfully gain exclusivity of you his sons and his daughters. The blood of Jesus becomes the means of cleansing and payment for our sins. That we can be God's people. That we can rightly enjoy his presence and draw near to him. The coming of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection are an invitation to all to open up their gates to open up our hearts and to joyfully receive him. The call is for all of us to be reminded of that if you believe in him, but if you don't, to hear this call, to open up and to receive this king of glory. Church, we are the body, a temple meant to joyfully receive the presence of God as he inhabits his people. 1 Corinthians 6 tells us, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, who you have from God? 
you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body, both individually and corporately. We belong totally, completely to God. And so the call for us is to receive his presence with joyful worship. Lift up your heads, ye mighty gates. Behold, the king of glory waits. The king of kings is drawing near. The savior of the world is here. Life and salvation he doth bring, wherefore rejoice and gladly sing. Lift up your heads, ye mighty gates. Behold, the king of glory waits. The king of kings is drawing near. The savior of the world is here. Life and salvation he doth bring. Rejoice and gladly sing. Amen.